2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. This week we're resuming our news ticker service for your convenience we understand you have a choice of many johnny come lately f1 podcast offerings these days so thank you for flying with missed apex podcast may your takes be hot and your accuracy questionable just like my panel if you enjoy our content please tell your friends we are uh we are only where we are because a lot of you go around and say to people please listen to missed apex podcast you're our number one source of promotion and growth because of you, we remain an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I am joined in the shed by someone without whom I would fall apart. It is Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt?
0: I'm very busy upscaling the 320 by 180 videos of car shakedowns that the team seem to think is appropriate to put out on social media these days.
2: There is lots of things to talk about about the car launches. We are going to get there. And who better to talk about car promo than PR guru, expert and expert commentator Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris?
3: hey spanners uh, yeah it's going great i've had a a wonderful weekend of watching uh, rugby and looking at show notes and getting all up in the things that are in this show
2: don't sully my live stream and my podcast with talk of rugby how dare you let's get on with big dirty news chasing a ridiculous egg-shaped ball around the pitch, and there's 45 people on each team, and no one understands the rule. Oh, I'm, I'm triggered. Don't talk so, about rugby here again, Chris.
3: Sorry, Spanners, there are no rules in rugby.
2: There are laws. Oh, I see. Good. Well, the law <laughs> of launch season is that you get every single f1 social media account trying to guess what's going on in the world of formula one launches so they're teasing out every little detail they can from what is essentially crayon drawings of what the car might look like and i have been i've been amused but somewhat angered because it's like these uh, celebrity psychics At the beginning of the year, they give you their predictions for the year. They say there will be a tornado in Bristol. A a monarch will uh, hit a lobster with a gavel. And then what you do is through the year, if a king does come along and hit a lobster with a gavel, they say, see, I nailed it. I called it. They had no real insight into why a king would hit a lobster with a gavel. But they just threw out 100 predictions. They talk about the hits they ignore the misses so whilst uh, the uh, f1 twitter for example is looking like this kind of this base of which source should i look at which hot take should i take as gospel which pundit which uh which person on uh on on instagram should i see as an oracle of knowledge the answer is none of them no one can tell anything from these these renders chris and i've been going mad watching people trying to kind of pick apart this stuff and saying oh look at the the razor edges on the floor that indicates that a high rake for full- you don't know <laughs> you can't tell anything
3: this is very true i think a lot of people tend to read too much into launch season um, particularly because most of the time uh, the renders and the pictures we're seeing aren't even of the 2023 cars and even if it is you know technically a 2023 car by the time we get to pre testing it's going to look completely different um, anyway so Uh, I think, you know, if if you're, you know, Summers or or someone like this, and there is um, a bit of value in going through everything with a fine-tooth comb, but I think for, you know, us mere mortals, just enjoy the nice pictures and (laughs) getting amped up for the season.
0: Enjoy the pretty colors. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what's nice about this is that you were right, especially for the launches, there's oftentimes very little that, can be told. And in fact, we saw um, for the Alpha Romeo launch, we saw a floor of dubious but apparent legality that did not show up at all when they rolled the car out to shake it down on an actual track. So rule number one of launch season is wait for the shakedown videos, which annoyingly all the teams seem to be putting out in potato vision these days <laughs> yeah. so that no one can see what's going on. But despite that, If you want some analysis, Summer's F1, Scarbs, Collins, Sam Collins, these are all good people to rely on because they're not going to get fooled because they've been doing it for an awful long time.
3: In fairness, a lot of those shakedowns are often used as the filming days as well, so... A, a little bit later on, we'll get the nice, cool 4K footage and all the cool angles. The drone footage. I've missed the drone footage, but the launch time is when we get all the drone footage. Not the rubbish one we saw in Spain uh, last year, but actual good, cool drone footage of cars. And we have seen two cars out on track already. Okay. The Haas and the Red Bull. I say we've seen them. We haven't really seen them, but they've been put out. The Matt, says, the uh, Matt says three.
0: Did we not see the Alpha on track? Also, did we? Did we?
3: I don't, I don't I recall that we
0: did. There has I, been some analysis of the Alpha.
3: I mean, they only launched it yesterday. So, yes, uh, I
0: know we did. In fact, because the floor was different, the floor edges had them sausagy fingers on it in the render, but then when it was on track, <laughs> um, it had a more normal looking floor.
2: I, uh, okay, so uh, three then. Okay, but also, like, didn't we get like leaks of McLaren coming out with that weird uh, rear wing? Thing where they had like this almost like a rib of rear wings that were flat that were like 90 degrees to the to the floor and you, and you go oh look maybe that's a genius invention so really for all this picking apart and all this oh look at what philosophy they've gone down it is essentially useless until you start seeing lap times
3: the only thing i think is true is that mercedes is going back to black <laughs> because they have been posting yeah. an awful lot of yeah. black car content lately really teasing and wetting our appetite for a return to what i think actually is a better looking livery than the classic silver arrow
2: so well it must be hard for mercedes because the silver is like iconic to their their brand it matches it matches you know a lot of the cars they put out and their emblem But also from a racing point of view, a lot of people associate very good things with that black livery. It was successful. It sent a message. It was incredibly popular. You can understand why they would want to go back to silver. But as a a racing team and not a car company, it might be overwhelmingly tempting now to go back to black.
3: I think as well, since the huge boom in in, uh, viewership to Formula One, I think more fans would recognize a black Mercedes over a silver one now. Mm. Does that make sense? I think well, it, it resonates more with fans.
2: Well it does and also it's just it's um it's just a better looking livery. The silver That's one kind true. of seems kind of quite uh unremarkable. It fades into the background, it doesn't look great on TV. Whereas the black livery is incredibly striking. But my bet is, because they've been so here's me criticizing everyone for teasing apart tech photos. And I'm teasing apart social media. I'm teasing apart social media where they've been pushing the teal element as well. So I think it is going to be a mix of silver, black and teal. Sorry, Matt.
0: As long as it's not white and red, I'm going to be very, very happy because apparently that's the livery that 90% of the grid is running. It's either blue <laughs> yes. or, you know, white and red. That's that's pretty much all we've seen so far. Um, I find it interesting. Um, Alpha, uh, just talking about what the teams are up against, I think reliability is, is their biggest thing to prove this season. They lost so many points, and that's not something you're going to see in a launch video or even, or even in a shakedown. Testing will be the real, uh, will be a bit of a revelation there. But
3: Sorry, Matt, which which Alpha are you talking about? Just clarify. Oh,
0: yeah. yes. <laughs> Romeo. Alpha Romeo. Okay, I mean, Alfa Tari was not unreliable last so season. So is, it, is it Alpha Bottas
2: or is it Alpha Sinoda? That's what. That's it's Alpha know. Joe. Okay, Alpha Joe. Fair enough. Alpha Joe.
0: Um, so I'm interested from that point of view. But what we're also beginning to see from the analysis that has been done that I trust is that it does seem like last season's Red Bull a lot of DNA from that is beginning to show up on more and more teams. So we're beginning to see some of that convergence. Um, and I know Summers and I were talking about it on our tech time, but it's starting to show up in real life now in cars that are actually on track.
3: And that's very typical of the Red bull Afatari uh, relationship. Afatari is the sister junior team to Red Bull. It was, it was easier to make that connection when it was called Toro Rosso because Toro Rosso was Italian for Red Bull. Um, but then also, Alpha Tower is Red Bull's fashion brand. So I guess, you know, you can also make the connection there as well. But yeah, obviously, sorry, when we sorry, had a. Wait, Chris, new... wait,
2: what? I didn't what? know. I, I saw something about this earlier. I yeah. had no idea that Red Bull had a fashion brand. I had no idea yeah. it was called Alpha Tauri. And I'm probably not the only one. Uh, how long's that been? Has that always been that? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's, so I, that's why they launched the car during uh, New York Fashion Week. Okay, I'm learning things now. So Alpha Tauri, I can go and buy Alpha Tauri jeans or or something. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. an actual it's a brand.
3: Very expensive one, but
2: it's You learn things every day. You expect me yeah. to be on the stream next week fully kitted out in Alpha Tauri sweatpants. They have Alpha <laughs> if they have sweatpants and cardigans, then they have hit my demographic perfectly.
3: Yeah. But yeah, just just finish up that point. Obviously, um, last year we had a brand new generation of car, so there was not a lot that AlphaTauri could kind of cherry pick from the Red Bull, uh, whereas they now have a year of development under their belt.
0: But it's not just the AlphaTauri. It's the Alpha Romeo. We're seeing more of the Red Bull aero philosophy, or chunks of it, showing up more consistently on cars throughout the grid which suggests that uh, on reflection, there's a lot there that other teams find of use. So one of the things to look at is to see what bits have been borrowed from the teams. And it's not always the leading teams. Some of of the most interesting innovations came from midfielders, from Aston Martin, um, places like that, from Haas even, that wound up on the big teams. But over the course of the season, it's looking like people are beginning to put their money more on the Red Bull concept to a certain extent than on the Ferrari or definitely
2: the Mercedes concept can i ask a question that will make me sound stupid but i bet there's lots of people listening that would like your two's input on this why why isn't the alpha tauri which used to be toro rosso which is essentially the red bull b team it's owned and run by the same people why isn't it just exactly as fast as as the red bull but why don't they just copy it completely surely they can or or copy get close. Or paper is expensive <laughs> chris why aren't, why isn't it the same like we know red bull will deploy alpha Towery and their drivers like in 2021 they had four drivers against one at certain times at certain tracks and they they deployed them to go long on stints they would completely sacrifice alpha races for the for for the the senior team why can't they just have a very similar aero philosophy and be just as fast
3: well they do have a very similar aero philosophy but it comes down to the fact that you have to design your own car it is in the regulations so regardless they have to design their own chassis even if they take parts from uh red bull and uh, you know usually it's, it's it's like the entire rear end they just take off the the red bull um, effectively but obviously if you're if you're red bull the company then you want to invest as much as possible into your winning team. And that's always going to be the senior team, the one that is called uh, Red Bull. And that is their flagship marketing. So really, uh, it ultimately comes down to resource and also their ability to use AlphaTauri, the B team, as a training ground for engineers, for mechanics, for drivers. Whereas if you plot them straight into a you know, race-winning capability, hmm. you're missing out on that additional step of training, I think.
2: I think it's just to make it not look sus, Matt. That's what I reckon. <laughs> I reckon everyone would get upset if the AlphaTauri was... Or if they had the top four cars in F1, I think people would start to get annoyed. So yeah, maybe there, there is an element of, if this is a solid midfield team, it means it's a good training ground and it's useful in, in other ways. Uh, but it, it does kind of... It's sad that really there's only nine competitive... Teams, Because AlphaTauri could never take on Red Bull in a title fight, no matter how well they did.
0: Well, if we're going to say there's only nine teams, then we're saying there's only eight teams, because I'd hardly rank Williams as the least bit competitive. But I think for for the purposes of our discussion, um, we certainly saw Mercedes show up with a car that at the end of the day they could make better but couldn't fix and I'm pretty sure a similar thing was the case for Alpha Towery, thinking about uh, Jody Eggington and some of the things that he said in interviews. I think they had a sort of a fundamental issue that they found that they couldn't fix. And and the car itself was was difficult to drive, not rewarding. Certainly harder for Gasly to drive in the condition that they were able to deploy it on track. So it may be that they are more competitive now. But the other issue uh, that has come up, and I, I've seen, um, it was Cedric Vasseur's interview, I think I read, talking about the, that gardening leave actually means that technology transfer in Formula One has become increasingly laggy as gardening leave ah. gets longer and longer, and especially for the top technical people. He says, you think it'd be really fast, but if you, if you get somebody from Red Bull, Well, they have to finish their contract, and then it's another six months before they walk in. So they walk in halfway through a season. Their influence doesn't even show up till the season after that, when a lot of times everything they knew is not really useful in the same way.
3: I think you see the same thing with financial investment as well, or like uh, McLaren's new wind tunnel, or Aston Martin's brand new factory and headquarters. They're not going to have built that thing, you know, cut the ribbon with the scissors and then immediately come out with a race winning car. You have to allow for the development uh, time and the influential time to pass as well. It's almost like how um, if you were the first person to fly off to another planet, by the time you got there, we'd have figured out a way how to get there quicker.
2: That is that is a very impressive sci-fi uh, and, uh, and it's not
3: sci-fi, fact. Yeah, but it's fact.
2: a thing that they do in sci-fi as well. But that, that's yeah. what reminded me of it. But you're right, there's no point setting off to the stars because by the time they're halfway there, you'll create a rocket ship that will surpass it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I want to just talk about that now. But instead, <laughs> <laughs> instead, let's talk about uh, the Haas launch and let's go to token American Matt Trumpets.
0: Well, you know, the nice thing about Haas is they are very no-nonsense with their launch. They said, here's our livery, and then they said, here's our car on a track. And we were actually able to see a, a lot of interesting changes. But I'd say the biggest thing to note is that they, as amongst the midfield teams we've seen thus far, they seem to be most closely aligned with the Ferrari aerodynamic philosophy show. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be It will be interesting to see what they can get out of it. Certainly, they were very, very um, competitive at certain races. But on the whole, their um, development schedule seemed to really bite them. They had a hard time keeping up as the season went on.
3: This is typical of Haas, isn't it? They, They tend to come out the blocks running really, really strong. And you think back to all their best races they were always in the first few rounds of the season. I think back to when Grosjean scored points on their debut in Australia. They were very competitive in Australia the following year as well. Um, And at um, Bahrain last year, very, very competitive. But as you mentioned, the, Maintaining that development is where it really tails um, off, and that has been a financial issue more than anything up until this point. But now, with new um, title sponsorship in the form of MoneyGram, they're actually operating at the, the
2: budget cap for the first time. So, wait, is that confirmed? Uh, so, ha- Haas is operating at the peak, so they can win. Well, no,
3: no, 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 because there is obviously an awful lot not involved in the budget cap <laughs> okay. that that teams spend money on that does still influence the pace of the car. So uh it's it's not a completely level playing field uh just yet, but they do actually have the uh the, the money to spend on the competitive nature of of the car for the first time uh in, since the budget cap was was introduced. So that should hopefully uh help to solve the issue of a lack of development across the season.
2: Well, that would be good, Matt, because I think that might be my favorite driver lineup. Not, not the driver lineup that I think is the best. What? Uh, just just from like a they seem like not generally nice blokes kind of point of <laughs> view. Not from okay. a, I, I think they're the best drivers or anything, but okay, let's put it this way. You can go on a you can go for a pint with a, one driver pairing from one of the teams, but you're obviously going to go out with Holkenberg and Magnussen for a beer, aren't you? Surely. Gasly and Ocon all the way. No, no, no. Hang on. Gasly and Ocon, if I'm a single young bachelor and we're going for a wild time and end up on a boat and we need passports, (laughs) then yes, Gasly and Ocon. But for,
3: Piastri, that was... I'm
2: talking about like a dad beer. You yeah, know, we're all we're going to complain oh. about stuff. We're going to have a laugh and we're going to exclusively drink out of tankards. <laughs> the <yeah>. middle
0: aged lineup. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, I think we might have summed up why they that might not be the, the greatest lineup. But
0: yeah, I,
2: I I'm all in. I that
0: Bottas and Joe, wouldn't it?
2: Bottas and, and Joe. Yeah, that would be a would close one. That'd that would be an interesting one. Magnussen got a pole position in Brazil, did he not? For the sprint race at least. Yeah, no, look, they're both very good drivers, apart from Magnuson's uh, sorry, apart from Hulkenberg's curse that he will never get a podium. Um they're <laughs> right. they you know, they're they're a fantastically talented driver pairing. Magnuson has to beat Hulkenberg for his general reputation and because I think Magnuson in a in an alternate universe, Magnuson gets a Braun type car or a, a Vettel Red Bull blown diffuser type setup. And and he's a world champion. I think Kevin Magnussen... Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. ...has world champion in in him. I'm not sure you could say the same of of Hulkenberg. But that's just my feeling. I'm sure he'd disagree and he's quite big.
3: Well, obviously, they're both champions in their feeder series. But Magnussen's uh, in Formula Renault 3.5, the year before he joined Formula One, was really, really impressive. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Properly, like uh, domination. Whereas whereas Hulkenberg... Took a while to get off the mark, actually, and then really like ran from from there. But it was a good like three or four like rounds before he won his first race of the um, of the season. And I remember he was talking about this. I think it was on the official the the Beyond the Grid um, podcast where he he was saying like, like, "Are you worried about the fact you haven't won a race here?" And he said, "No, because I know it's going to happen, and when it does, we're going to be sorted for." the rest of the season. So he he definitely has a, an
2: underlying confidence. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not good. We're at the very highest level here, so we're picking who's at the highest uh, level who's at and the I the lowest <laughs> end of the high end. Put put of, it, put, good, put, it, put it this way. If I'm an F1 team boss and you say to me, I think hires have done pretty well with driver lineups to be fair. And you say to me you're going to have you're going to have Grosjean and Magnussen. I thought that was a great driver pairing, two drivers with incredible uh, potential for for speed. Who, for whatever reason, have never quite put it together. But then I think, yeah, you get Mag- uh, Magnuson and Holkenberg, and you go, that is a really good lineup. You know, it's good to see they've not gone down. You know, they could have picked up a uh, a Mazepin or, or a Sirokin to, to help. I mean, they
3: but, did pick up a Mazepin.
2: But... Yeah, I know, but I'm saying now. <laughs> I'm saying now. Oh, you mean now? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that that speaks to, I guess, if they've got more budget, you know, you don't have to go down that road.
0: And that was their general philosophy. And the advantage of having a title sponsor um, is, is that you do have the money to pick the drivers more so that you want. You're not forced to compromise in order to have operating budget. But that said, we, we've seen some interesting stuff on the Haas. Most uh, interesting to me, looking at least, is their Shark Fin. Which is like stepped and has a cutout underneath. So, so keep an eye out for that at testing. If you like those sorts of things, it's very distinctive. And I'll be curious to see if anyone else runs any version of it whatsoever.
3: Can I um very quickly uh, pick up on what um, what you mentioned at the start of this um, segment, which was how they just kind of threw the car out there and just went, blah, there it is, <laughs> enjoy." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, which was I love then fo- yeah. yeah followed by the rebel who spent ten years. <laughs> waiting to show off a car that was basically identical to the one that came before it uh, but what I love since then as well like the Alphatari launch they just threw the car out and people went oh no we waited all this time for nothing uh, I love the fact that we've had such mixed uh, reactions but obviously you know when you compare Red Bull is such a huge global brand and does so much more than what what it does in Formula One and also had quite a big announcement to make in the form of Red Bull Ford powertrains um, as well to come before it um, then i think it it does make sense that they have a bit of a a bit of a, a, a season company launch pr event before before Ooh. showing off the car
2: Oh, i suppose we should talk about the the red bull the red bull launch I suppose that's a natural place to go we haven't we didn't cover that last week did we because we were doing We were doing driver masterclass and then tech stuff. So we can go into the Red Bull launch, which was definitely weird. Uh, EJ has said uh, some money's just slipped into the Miss Apex tip jar after Spanish, uh, after after Spanners mentioned Magnussen having World Driver Championship potential. That's the only reason I did that segment was to get a tip jar donation from a a single Danish patron. But you can, if you think we're doing good things here on Miss Apex podcast, Um, if you contribute to our tip jar we will spend all of that on our advertising strategy at the beginning of the season. Last year, we actually we pushed for it, and you guys gave us an embarrassing amount of cash. Every single penny of that tip jar was spent on an advertising campaign around the start of the season. I, I, I've got some secret source which worked to to squeeze every value out of every penny, and and I would love to do that again. Uh, I w- I'm not expecting a repeat of that miracle, but if you would like to contribute to our ad campaign, if you believe in what we're doing. Go, go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar and not a single penny of that uh, will get filtered through my liver, I swear.
3: And uh, I'd be foolish not to mention as well the opportunities on uh, Patreon um, as well, which, you know, for... £2 a month is where it starts and you can join our growing amazing community um, <laughs> on Slack, the live chat room as well ad free feed first dibs on uh, things like on events, our yeah. karting events and iRacing um, series as well uh, and yeah more, more things like that there are loads of little perks so patreon.com forward slash missed apex as well.
2: And that's true and if nothing else uh, just if you want to chip in one ninety nine a month then you get an ad free private feed so remove the ads for 33p or 33 cents a show. Red Bull launch, Matt, and F1 Twitter, the Hamfosi, was was enraged that Stefano Domenicali, head of F1, was personally endorsing the Red Bull launch. How, how dare he support one particular team? Obviously, that's hyperbole. That's hyperbole. Uh, but it's Stefano Domenicali at the Red Bull launch, or was it the Ford launch, or was it the, the Honda launch? It was all very confusing.
0: Uh, well, it was the Red Bull launch with the Red Bull Ford powertrain announcement with Stefano Domenicali in attendance. No doubt because the Ford involvement in a new, technically a mostly yeah. newish, according to FIA Dictat, powertrain manufacturer but not entirely new they're not getting all the bells and whistles oh, that, that we need we need to
2: pause that. on that we need to pause on yeah. that right so red bull powertrain is being treated in 2026 as a new entrant and therefore would be entitled to spend more money on development is that correct
0: uh they are not entirely new they didn't get the full kit they only got 90 percent of it
2: 90 percent is basically all of it so right, can I can I just say Right, as well, okay, we're gonna argue. We're all gonna argue. No, here. no, no. I'm
3: I I agree with you, Spanners. Okay. I'm furious about this. Yeah. What is the current name for that power unit that they have used for the last year? Red Bull power Red trains. Red Bull Power Trains. Okay, it is not a new entry then. Okay, it? good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yeah. that they've stuck a Ford badge on it now. It's exactly the same. Treating like because they've swapped out Honda for Ford. Regardless of whether they were in the name or not, you may as well give new entry benefits
2: to every team that changes power unit supply because it's exactly the same thing. Okay, so so okay, this is going to take some unpacking. So it was Red Bull Honda, and it was the Honda engine. Honda did wonders developing the, that power unit. Probably, oh, yeah. probably the best power power unit on on the grid. It, it was it was fast. It was it's reliable, and and and, and it's amazing. I don't know why Honda decided to step back away from F1, if they have, but we'll talk about McLaren later. But Red Bull said, "Right, no longer is this a Honda power unit. This is now a Red Bull powertrain and they built their own facility in Milton Keynes. They have done this before with the Renault engine where they said, Christian Horner flat out at a press conference said, we don't have a Renault engine. We have a Tag Heuer engine. And as far as I know, that watch manufacturer does not build motorsport hybrid engines. But that Red Bull powertrain that they've been talking about is the Honda engine. Like, have I missed any subtlety about it? That is basically the Red Bull, the, the Honda powertrain. You will love this.
0: What ultimately caught Red Bull out? Because they did. They built a whole facility and whatever, whatever part of their campus they built it in. They kitted it up. They were ready to build all engines. And then they started looking at it and realized that it was much easier to let Honda just keep on building the engines. But what they did start doing was the battery packs. They started assembling the battery packs in Milton Keynes for the Honda engines. And that, my friend, oh. that is the sole reason they're not 100% brand new entrant in
2: 2026. And the power part of it, the electric systems, that is the part that Ford are, uh, are meant to be taking over as well. So when when they say oh Ford is coming in as an engine supplier, it's not a Ford internal combustion engine Ford are contributing to the hybrid systems, which is coincidentally the bit that Red Bull powertrains have been doing separate from, from Honda, which it feels like they're just rebadging that as, as Ford. but essentially using the Honda IP. Now I've had people on, on Twitter, Matt saying to me, there is no way Honda would allow that IP, that intellectual property to be copied. Therefore, red bull are essentially building a power train uh, a power unit from scratch and i just i can't see that that is the case they have had the benefit of all that honda development and it is an evolution of that going into 2026 how on earth are they getting treated as 90 percent a new entrant because
0: red bull themselves are not building this power unit honda is honda is still assembling it it's still basically honda except for the battery packs In 2026, it's going to be Red Bull assembling the power units in their own facility. Therefore, they're getting a lot of the advantage of being new, even though, as you rightly point out, certainly a lot of the IP and knowledge will be lodged uh, in Red Bull's head.
3: So I think the thing to remember here as well is that we're currently in the middle of an engine freeze and will be until the end of 2025. So even Uh, though, you know, Red Bull, PT, they've putting together the the honda engines no one's doing any real development on on these engines anymore um so in in terms of that you know red bull pt they're not doing anything new they're just sort of putting together what gets shipped to them from
0: japan and i will go on to say that like certain aspects of the engine i I think the plating for the combustion chambers um the the shafts for the mguh which spin at a ridiculous speed are very secretive I don't think Red Bull is going to have that information because they come from other Honda divisions, but a lot of this is very standard internal combustion stuff. I think really the only fiddly bit is the turbulent jet ignition, which is now on all the uh, powertrains currently in Formula One. So again, it's not a wide, it's not the kind of secret it was when these, when these power unit regulations first started out. And people were experimenting with this. The challenge for Red Bull is they're going to need a lot of research and development that Ford has done over the years to optimize their powertrain, both with the electrics and I think to a certain extent with the combustion. But Ford, too, is taking information out of this for themselves. But I'd say for Red Bull, the bigger win for them is the commercial partnership with an American company.
2: And and I think this is an, an important point to note. Because I did see Hamilton fans getting upset that Stefano Domenicali seemed to be endorsing the Red Bull launch. I think it seems pretty clear now that uh, Domenicali was there really to welcome Ford back into the F1 fold, into the F1 family. And and I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding of what this would be. And I think it was a bit more of a Red Bull launch than a welcoming Ford in, than perhaps he realised. So when they called him up to the stage, <laughs> he, just, he was like, nope and he just didn't turn up and uh, and you anyway, know that created quite an awkward moment in the in their launch which was never acknowledged they just uh, like a cat falling off a fence they pretended that was that was the plan all but along and meant to do that yeah which is the correct way to deal with that misunderstanding
3: so of course this leaves honda in the lurch a little bit as a manufacturer that is still registered, yeah, for the 2026 power year oh, regulations. Nice that doesn't segue. necessarily yeah. mean that they will enter an engine in 2026. But if they were, if they were to, <laughs> they were to do so, I can't think of a single team that might possibly benefit from becoming a manufacturer entry. For example,
0: who could it be? Who, who could, could we it possibly be? be talking about? I don't know. But before we go there, I do want to point out. The thing that I love most about this is that it sure enough, it was all down to who runs the business of Red Bull. Ford wants no ownership, and that's why they won the prize.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on.
2: Well, as Chris very successfully segued into there, the rumours have been swirling that McLaren... Are looking at a partnership with Honda, and there are reliable reports from none other than uh, Mr. Joe Sayward, who comes and uh, and and gives his experience and wisdom on this podcast as one of the longest-serving F1 journalists in existence and history, um, has been stating that there have been conversations. But as Joe states, these conversations happen all the time. From a fan point of view, you might be forgiven for looking at that with scepticism, as the last time McLaren decided to to partner with Honda, they had ditched Mercedes saying, you cannot win an F1 championship if you are a customer team, if you're taking an engine from another manufacturer. Therefore, they went with Honda and dived down into F1 wilderness for four years, despite having an exceptionally talented driver lineup of Jenson Button and Fernando Alonso. They were consigned to being absolutely swamped on straights and leading to the infamous radio calls of Fernando Alonso calling it a GP2 engine, wrecking the relationship between Mercedes and, uh, and Honda, uh, certainly their PR department, and really making that quite a toxic relationship. Before Toro Rosso, I think at the time, took on Honda. Were they still Toro Rosso at the time? Basically yeah. trying to test out whether that Honda engine would work. For for Red Bull, and then Red Bull took that on, and then the rest is history. Surely, Chris, surely. If we were if we were best mates with McLaren right now, down the pub, <laughs> we're five points in, and they're going, Do you know what? I just miss Honda. I just missed Honda and like everything was fine. And I know there was problems. I know there was problems, but I- I'm going to call, I'm going to call them. And you're like, no, no, leave it, leave it McLaren. It's no good. It didn't work for a reason. You're both good people, but it's not going to happen.
3: Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> oh, that's a conversation. I've had. This is more, this is more the ending of, um, uh, four weddings and a funeral okay where where they kiss passionately in the rain and everything ends out great um i'm just a, i'm just, a, just
2: i'm just a consumer team, a customer team looking at an engine manufacturer
3: that's not in hill mate oh is it not in hill <laughs> oh and I, and I got the quote
2: wrong anyway go on yeah.
3: uh so in all, in all seriousness right um the mclaren that honda knew before is gone long gone yeah okay What Ron Dennis said at that time about you can't win a world championship as a customer team, it was true, and it's still true. So how do they go about, for example, winning a a world championship again and also retaining uh, the services of their star driver, Lando Norris, Mm. become a manufacturer? I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Everything about it makes sense. They've
2: changed, Matt. They've changed. It's going to be fine. Well, I think this
0: is the thing. If you look at the cast of characters when Honda showed up. So first of all, it should have been imminently predictable. The path. All you had to do was look at Renault, who basically did nothing before, you know, 2013 and a half to get ready for the 2014 power unit regulations and look at their path. You sh- you had to have known that it was going to be more than a few rocky years before your power unit manufacturer Caught up with, especially because they didn't get an exemption so much that I recall from the token system as much as they should have had. They, sh- they should have just basically hmm. been given uh, freedom to catch up before they were put under the same regulations. And maybe Formula One learned something from that. And maybe they didn't. But having said that, the cast of characters, Whitmarsh, Dennis, Eric yeah. Boulier, Alonzo, <laughs> Alonzo, <laughs> all long gone from mclaren honda having caught up and demonstrated a certain acuity is going to want to find the highest team up the grid they can partner with and the team that has the most outside resources and we've got mercedes red bull ferrari they don't need a honda engine
2: yeah alpine can alpine yeah.
0: Well, they could maybe use a Honda engine, but they're stuck with Viri. And I think they're going to have Alpine engines in 26, actually. They're going to re- rebadge them at that point.
2: Oh, yeah, well, then know. it's definitely so, not it's definitely not Renault's fault then, Matt, if they do that. If the team's nope. be re- been renamed and the power unit's been renamed, Renault are absolved of all guilt. A beatable never existed. Let it be wiped from history.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's he's a Hyundai. Right. I don't know what you're talking
2: about. He's a um, Hyundai. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so so McLaren is the best choice for Honda, and if McLaren want to become a uh, uh, work team again, Honda is you know looking like a pretty good choice at this point. Maybe five beers in and two o'clock in the morning, but still,
2: <laughs> that's what I it should... is. Five beers in at two in the morning.
0: If you're only
3: five beers in at two AM, then you've been you've been doing something wrong, my friend.
2: Yeah, you, you, really need to, need to, you need to you need to you need to okay, youngster. You need to up your pre drinks. Yeah,
3: but um, can I can I just um, clarify the reason I point out that that McLaren has changed because I think a lot of people would look at that time and say, well, Honda didn't deliver the goods. Mm. Like, well, do you think it's do you think it's a coincidence that as soon as they left McLaren, they started to be able to deliver performance reliability? Fuel efficiency, all the things a good power unit needs to do, and Uh, the reason was the
2: the size zero concept of McLaren that they were so married to. Yeah,
3: yes, there were a lot of extreme demands from McLaren, which they made zero compromise for, and also felt like they could just sweep every single issue that they had under the carpet of Honda is rubbish, and as soon as they entered into a proper partnership with the Red Bull teams. Suddenly things started to come together, didn't it? Mm. So I don't see Honda as the main issue in that tumultuous relationship, and that's why I say it's important that
0: McLaren has changed rather than Honda. Which is not to say that it's a hundred percent on McLaren the fact that that partnership didn't work because there no. were clearly reports that that Honda was having trouble readjusting to a Formula One environment versus a uh, you know, road car manufacturer environment, which is, you know, outside of IndyCar, which is a separate um, facility in the U.S. That's really where it was coming from, sort of the corporate culture did have some readjusting to do. I mean, I think there's some blame on both sides, and and that's fair. But the majority of it, I really do think, uh, came from McLaren. And if we look at what happened when Zach Brown came in, and they changed management, and they changed Um, They changed engineering structure, sort of that blame game that started being played almost from the beginning when they showed up on track, I think represented a lot of the troubles that McLaren was having at the time because it was a culture thing. Everyone was blaming each other for it rather than working together to solve problems. And this is always where I love to hold up Mercedes as a great counter example And you see more and more teams, I think, trying to implement that kind of a structure because it is very, so very clearly effective.
2: No, I I don't know. I I like the thing we use for the whose fault is it that's based on my marriage, where when anything goes wrong, immediately try to distance yourself from blame or establish blame uh, for the other person. It must always be mostly someone's fault.
0: Isn't that the point of having kids, though?
2: What would you blame the kids? I'd not even Bingo. thought of that. You're you're oh, a genius. All yeah. Yeah, right, well, Chris,
3: Spanish, you're a rookie. If you haven't <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you haven't thought of that. Yeah, at no. this point, even I have thought <laughs> of that. All right. Speaking of uh, weird relationships, uh, well, the, golf has had a funny relationship with Formula One. You might remember a, a flurry of excitement from Formula One journalists around the Monaco Grand Prix two Monaco Grand Prix ago it wasn't uh, was it last yeah, season yeah, 2021 20, was so it 2021 g-
3: g- golf golf as in oil not oil. golf as in silly trousers and no sorry sorry combat. that is because
2: i'm back in ex Essex, so um you know i'm i'm struggling between my vowels so ball and bull like the the the, the bull with yeah. horns and the bouncy ball going to sound the same from now on because i'm here golf so 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 golf and golf is going to sound the same so no golf golf oil golf <laughs> i've had a funny relationship with Formula One, yeah, that big launch, all the journalists got excited. They'd clearly been invited for volavents and cocktails and champagne. And all it really was in the end was a a livery change. So a one-off sponsorship for Monaco.
3: Right. So this obviously, this is about the the Williams uh, launch that happened uh, last week, where we were told <laughs> yes, there was more build-up no no, I, we, no we weren't we weren't told though were we because i think just someone made rumors, it up i think and someone this made up this idea Chris. that the golf livery was going to come back and there was going to be a Porsche yeah. deal involved in it as well and it was clearly absolute tittle waddle yes and it was it, it it should never have been trusted and but 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 what i will say is all right i know i know everyone's disappointed that we don't have a a golf livery, Why? A Golf title sponsorship. Okay. because it's a gorgeous it's gorgeous orange Spanish. and blue it really it's a great looking car okay but from what i understand about it it is the start of a, a, a growing partnership oh, okay between the two well, that's positive. where it will it will it will increase and it should primarily uh be involved and led by fan engagement. Uh, now quite you know what this is going to involve in details um, I I don't know yet but it seems like it's going to be a great thing Mm. for the fans to enjoy and get them more involved in the the sport and it's going to increase over time Mm. as well so I'm looking at this as a very positive thing not to mention as well that it's providing some much needed finance for a team
2: that just lost Nicholas Latifi and his sponsors. But aren't De the 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 finance group in charge of Williams now? Are they not fairly liquid, or are they like a, a genie Lotus type situation?
3: I mean, no, no, no. They're not. They're, genie would be the the wrong end of the scale oh, okay, okay, okay. But, but um you know they're not they're not fronting the full budget cap and the full budget for the okay you know for, for the team you know they they still need these these sponsors yeah um so, so, so for
2: reference do any of us know how close we just said Haas is is close to having the budget cap to spend is is williams derolton close to that matt
0: uh, the only thing that I have read is that over the last two years, I believe they've been fully funded to the cost cap. Yes.
3: Really? But they had yep. Safino because of Nicholas Satifi as ah, well. That's, that's a good point. It's quite yeah. a loss they've just had. So they've had to recuperate that. But they are actually getting more uh, interest from the U.S. now because mm. of um, Logan Sargent. Oh, course. okay. Is he of drinking age yet in America? We've been making <laughs> all these allergies.
0: Can he even can he even <laughs> partake? What is his actual age? And I don't know. So, okay. Is he twenty? I'm gonna look it
3: up
2: real okay, Twenty-one
0: you... is the age of legally entering an establishment and drinking. Yeah. It hasn't always been, but that's more or less what it is now.
2: Yeah. But but what a lot of my age British people uh, are looking at is 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 this is this a way that Williams can go up the grid? Because certainly with, with Albon, you've got someone who can deliver consistent results. Sargent's a little bit of an unknown, but the the really the main thing is: do they have the budget to develop? Do they have the budget to start going up the grid? Because Williams at the back of the grid is terrible for F one.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't expect fireworks so much at the moment. Uh, development, I think, is probably going to be where they hit the hardest so they might they might come out the blocks running um and uh we'll we'll see where they go from there sergeant by the way is of legal age is 22 is born in the year
2: 2000 no Uh, i don't want to (laughs) know yeah i don't that is just wrong thing at all
0: williams is an interesting case because the problems there i think have been demonstrably if you look at who's been there more than just financial I think there is fundamentally some kind of a culture problem at Williams, and they've not been able to build, despite having some talented people, anything that begins to resemble a successful car. And with the advent of James Vowles, I'm Mm. very curious to see if he can fix that problem. So far, nobody's been able to, but if he can fix it, then I think Williams is, is very well-placed with their deal with Mercedes to, to move up to, I don't even know if they'll move up the grid, but certainly to score more than like whatever five points they scored last season to, to be more competitive with the back of the midfield
2: yeah. at the very least. But Vals only has come in, like he can only come in at the end of February. I don't know if he's even officially started yet uh, because I, I believe he had some other commitment that he needed to do. But it, all his talk, all the interviews is about culture as you say, uh, Matt, and changing the culture. So what I would love to hear as a, as a long-standing Williams fan since, uh, since the, the real Red Five, sorry, Vettel fans, the real Red Five, uh, Mansell, and, uh, and all through like supporting Damon Hill, and, and I was a big Coulthard fan as well. What I want to see is by Barcelona hearing reports that everyone at Williams is super happy. And that they live in a that they live and work in a nice place, and they're all, there's all harmony, and there's none of the Capito drama leaks that have been coming out.
3: Yeah. So what we were saying earlier about how
2: these things take time. No, this is going This yeah. is gonna take time. Okay, it's gonna take time. All right. Uh, where does that Where does that put us next on the topic list, Matt? I think that just about covers <sighs> launches. Yeah, must favorite driver. My favourite driver... Said a thing. Kobayashi said a thing. No, really? No, Kobayashi. I I'm a big Kobayashi fan. You know who I'm talking about. Sergio Perez said a thing. Oh, yeah. No. Lewis Hamilton no. said a thing. No. Who's my favourite driver? You're confusing and angering me. Um, I am 100% better.
0: Alonso.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, this new story. How could I forget... Oh my goodness, Fernando Alonso has come out and declared. And look, I know that sometimes journalists ask leading questions, but Fernando Alonso has been commonly uh, reported, widely reported as saying that Lance Stroll is fast enough to become world champion, which goes to show that when you enter Westeros, you must bend the knee.
0: I love this. I think they just left out the bit where he said, assuming everyone else on the grid is a billionaire's son in about five years' time.
3: So, in, 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 no, not even in, it's not even in
0: defense of. Yeah, go ahead, defend it. Go on, Chris. Go on. We're waiting. We're waiting just right here. It's it's in in defense of
3: whoever asked him the question because (laughs) I'm fairly certain they didn't just ask him, do you (laughs) think Lance Stroll can become world champion? Yeah. Uh, Because, because, Otherwise, he has he has no reason to include that in in the answer.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, So, so it wasn't Fernando Alonso was walking to Tesco's and someone was alongside him secretly taping him, and <laughs> and Alonso just went, "Do you know what? I've really just been off the top of my head thinking about how Lance Stroll is probably going to be F one champion." So it has been widely reported, but what what do you expect Fernando Alonso to say when asked about his his new teammate? Um, he hasn't come out and said, yes, Lance Stroll is a genuine, he's the best young talent in F1, which is what Otmar Schaffnauer said when he was under the employee of Lawrence Stroll. He's said he's got speed, which I don't think is entirely unfair. Did, did Lance Stroll have speed to enter F1 when he entered F1? We could debate that. But given the unprecedented opportunity he's had to build and develop and have People like Anthony Anthony Davidson preparing him for his first drive in F one, spending twenty million having a a old uh, or a, a few years out of date F one car to practice on, and having a team bought for him, uh, and and just having this this constant waterfall of opportunity. Yeah, he's pretty quick. Like he's he is probably the best pay driver, the best out and out pay driver in existence like he's fine and i i think that you could justify employing lance stroll as a number 2 driver let's say you had a young uh, you had piastri and you wanted someone with recent f1 experience to be there to be like a benchmark i think you lance stroll is a decent what would what, you call it uh you know a decent candle calendar candle like a like a like a type b supernova that you can compare his performance in that car to this car and know where you're at but to say He has the speed to be a world champion is obviously going to to create headlines.
0: Well, I love this. I mean, he could have said he's fast. He's had really good results in the wet. It's challenging. And it's, you know, it's going to be exciting to be along someone who has that kind of talent. Because after all, this is what you'd expect. But he very clearly went on to say, (laughs) has the possibility to be world champion. And I don't know. We were talking about Magnussen earlier. I don't know about you. <laughs> it's not But sl- if you ask me to pick which one of those two drivers I'd bet on in a race,
2: yeah. I'm pretty sure I'd choose Magnussen. No, but, but if you remember, like on this podcast, like a few years back, I was warning of the possibility that, that Lawrence Stroll, and this was pre cost cap, would have had the ability pre cost cap to, if it was his will, direct a billion dollars at a Formula One team have a second driver that is instructed to not win the world championship and Lance Stroll could pick up a world title. Like, he is good enough to do that and there are drivers who have picked up world championships by being in incredibly dominant cars and being the number one driver. So there is that potential, but even a 57-year-old Fernando Alonso in 2023 has got to wipe the floor with Lance Stroll and make that... Because in my opinion... He is going to do better against Lance Stroll than Sebastian Vettel did. I think Fernando Alonso is a better driver than Sebastian Vettel. Feedback at net So Matt can deal with the fallout of that comment. But, <laughs> but Alonso, even at his age now, I think like, all things being even, is is going to show his talent against Lance Stroll unless there's something strange going on. So th- those comments are going to be very quickly shown to be well that's not quite true because he doesn't have the speed of an aging fernando alonso so you have to you have to think what is the game what game is fernando alonso being is he playing is he being paid just so much money that he will actually be a supporting driver it can't be that he's got to be just playing nice until he finally pounces surely Uh, sorry matt then chris well, I was going to say,
0: at the risk of stealing what Chris was about to say. No, steal uh, it. I'm fed up okay, with that good. guy. Thank That's you. I, I have permission. Yeah. <laughs> I will now go to town. Um, no, Alonso has actually known Stroll for quite some time because he knew him through the Ferrari Academy, of which Stroll was a member and Alonzo assisted with when Alonzo was at Ferrari. So some of this might be, I don't know, I'd say more genuine than we want to give it credit for. But I think a lot of it is very much Alonzo, as he first did at Alpine, positioning himself to get in the good graces of the people who have the actual power. And I know once Chris makes his point, I (laughs) actually went back and looked up what Alonso said about Ocon (laughs) when he first went to Reno. So we'll get to that. But first, Chris.
2: Well, hang on. EJ's comment in the live chat is, uh, is this just Alonso setting up for the possibility to go, well, i beat a possible world champion at the end of the season. (laughs) But more (laughs) realistically is if he absolutely trounces Stroll, you want that to look like a miracle. You don't want it to look like you're fighting bums.
3: This is the thing the better he makes his teammate yeah. look, the better he looks when he
2: beats them like yeah. he did with Ocon um that's why was bigs up um, hamilton all the time he's like hamilton is basically an exactly. unbeatable nice third. try
0: chris i'm pretty sure ocon won the last round of that
2: <laughs> i don't I don't, think he I don't think he did but what i will he say he did
3: no i don't think he did but what On i will points, say
0: points absolutely
3: oh yeah cuz points mean everything don't they yep. um yeah, Nico Rosberg got more points in the 2016 World Championship than Lewis Hamilton. And that's yeah, why he
0: was world to champion. Me, to me about Funny that. how that but works.
3: Anyways, um, what I will say, what I will say is that um, I don't think he's being paid so much money to just sort of no, flound fl- that yeah, because, like. because um, as far as I remember, he's taken a pay cut since leaving Alpine. He's on less money at Aston. So, yeah.
2: I think he is coming in there to 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 beat Lance Stroll, and he's worried that it's going to look too easy. So he's he's trying to go no 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 this is a this is a challenge, and I'm so happy to support him uh, as the quote goes. But Matt, you had to go on. Then what did Alonso say about Ocon at the start of Alpine?
0: Right. So um, he said, definitely, I'm impressed, and I'm happy to have Esteban alongside me. He's very professional. He works very hard, not only here at Trackside, but also in the simulator. We shared a lot of stuff. While either of us is in the simulator, we try to be connected and work towards a better car. And then when he left, he said, my teammate is trying to kill me. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing what he says when he leaves Aston. Oh, And,
2: and, and the thing is, you're not saying, I look forward uh, to what he says when he leaves Aston after a five-year harmonious relationship. Like, everyone is betting on this ending in some kind of drama. Like, what is he thinking? Because he's going to go in there. If they have a championship winning car and Alonso wins the championship, and it's an outside bet, you know, of Aston Martin turning up with a championship winning car. Uh, But but by the way, there was a report. I think it was Planet F1. I think Christian Horner being quoted as saying, we're hearing big numbers from the Aston Martin tests. So perhaps they could be a, a dark horse. If Aston Martin did a brawn and turned up with a championship winning car and Alonso wins the championship, that makes a mockery of Project Stroll. Like that just defeats the whole mission, like this 10 year mission to explore strange new racetracks and to to do things that could never be done is, is all wasted if they get the championship winning car and Stroll isn't the world champion. So I think Alonso is betting on the fact that his reputation is on the line. He, he he beat Alonso, uh, sorry, he beat Ocon, moves on to Aston Martin, beats Stroll and then hopes that then I think he's still gunning for a Ferrari contract or a McLaren contract or, or something that's going to elevate him up the grid. This is not the be-all and end-all for Alonso. He has no plans to retire.
0: Except he didn't beat Ocon last season, but okay.
2: Well, you know, in, do you know what? Actually, lots of people think he was still the better driver despite the points difference.
0: I, I, that's that is a fair position to have. I wouldn't yeah. argue with you.
2: One, I agree. And Ocon would argue that perhaps he looked after his car a little more, and perhaps Ocon, oh. uh, perhaps Alonso was on the on the fiery edge, and that's that's why he did. And 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 here's one example that people won't like: Spa, twenty twenty two everyone blamed lewis hamilton for for cutting in on alonso and i think that's correct lewis hamilton if to a portion blame that was hamilton cutting in on alonso but alonso he really was on the edge he really kept his foot in the the smart play in that situation all day long was for alonso to 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 lift off let hamilton get in front and then and then slot in behind and get a good result alonso was And I don't think this has been talked about at all. Alonso blew that whole race, that fantastic position he was in, by insisting on keeping his foot in up the inside of Lacombe. And that's the kind of thing that perhaps Ocon didn't do. Because if you look at Ocon in the Force India, in like 2018, 2019, you know, that epic charge, five cars going down into Lacombe and lap one in Spa-Francorchamps, where he had the chance to get up the inside and punt Vettel's Ferrari off into existence. Ocon slotted back in behind and we were all disappointed. We're like, why did why didn't you take that on? And he discretion was the better part of valor and he got a better result.
3: I, I think those are two quite different scenarios. No, right. they're exactly from, the same for from, the from, No From <laughs> memory, the Alpine was incredibly <laughs> fast at, at Spa. Probably faster than the Mercedes. So
2: Yeah. I'm just saying. He kept I'm just saying he kept his foot no, in, I, in an a odd way. Point where I don't think he'd have kept his foot in against Verstappen against a lot of other drivers. I think he saw Hamilton and I think he saw... I'm going oh, to fight this to Is the this death. Is this a version
0: of Verstappen and Hamilton drive against each other differently than they do against the other drivers on the track? I think a lot of
2: drivers because drive. Because it's a little personal? I think yeah. a lot of drivers drive against different drivers because it's, you know, it's different. Like anyone against Magnussen goes, I'm going to take that front wing. Why does Magnussen have front wing end plates? I want to take it from him yeah <laughs> my trophy yeah exactly everyone wants magnuson's front
0: end plate trophy from exactly
2: yeah uh, if i ever meet kevin magnuson that'll be my first question please can i have a, a front wing end plate <laughs> next topic on the well probably the last topic can we stop talking about what the fia president says please yes
3: Yes. Okay. Yes, we can.
2: Oh, good. Why is that? All
3: right, that's it. Yes. Okay. He's- brilliant.
2: No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, go, on, go, on. go on, Chris. Chris.
3: No, I. Oh god, I'm so. I'm. I'm so relieved that we're talking about this, um, because the reason we we won't hear from it anymore is because he's no longer involved in the day to day running of the Formula One World Championship. Now, this was part of his manifesto. That he was not going to eventually uh, be involved in the day to day running of Formula One. But the timing yeah. of this, yeah. following a series of controversies surrounding. List them! Swallin, I don't believe in coincidence when it comes to these things. So um, make of that what you will.
2: So, my sort of obvious take, my Occam's Razor, what's the most obvious thing, is that he said a bunch of stuff. That upset the teams. That upset the drivers. That upset uh, F one. That upset upset Liberty. And then everyone <laughs> kind of went. No, enough is enough. Uh, you are. You have to. You have to either go or you. Or, or I think at the very least, Matt, they said you're making our positions untenable. You are in political terms. You have become a distraction. Well,
0: so uh, yeah. I think to a certain extent, I suspect his own people probably put it to him that that he was doing more harm than good, yeah. let's say. But having said that, it's also, I don't know, looks kind of clear to me as an alleged sort of thing that there was a very concerted effort to make him look as bad. Bad as possible because there some was. of the things he said,
2: oh, Liberty
0: man. and the teams didn't like, and mm. I find that to be a very dangerous territory. Yeah, for the sport overall, given the nature of the decrees which they just finally got out of with the EU anti-competition people.
2: So uh, in the UK, we had a political dra- uh, drama, comedy drama called The Thick of It. And uh, yes, Prime Minister, we and, and I guess you guys had like House of Cards, you know, this inward looking yeah. at, like, how do you spin things in politics? And it was a little, like, troubling to suddenly, when when it seems like Mohammed bin Salim is is upsetting everybody, particularly the FIA, and the, the catalyst seems to be when he started talking about the valuation of formula 1 that seemed to be the big thing like don't mess with the money we can talk about ethics we can talk about uh, philosophies we can talk about new entrants but when you start talking about money and stock prices you need to start looking over your shoulder and then things started surfacing about his about comments that he'd made you know a decade ago when he was still a fully formed human adult which were pretty two
0: decades ago but yeah yeah it's still and removed from the internet yeah 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. but but abhorrent abhorrent comments like indefensible comments that that is not an accidental off the come thing he deliberately made you know these these very misogynistic comments but why bernie never did thank (laughs) god why did they why (laughs) did they come sorry that's an old joke look it up but why did they come to the surface at that specific point and then as chris says you know you can be skeptical of coincidences and and i think in all those uh, those political dramas we talked about that is called a briefing so there was a briefing against mohammed ben saleem in the press and and that is that kind of sinister thing that you were talking about matt there where there was definitely yeah, there was a will to get him to move on from the role these stories started surfacing they're true he said those things but the timing was very targeted and direct
0: yeah it's suspect and let's be clear i'm only wish to discuss his actions right now sure. because i think they're most germane to our discussion yes, as I agree. as in charge of the FIA i think we all find what he said earlier to be reprehensible and mm. not acceptable but he's had two decades to go to therapy and sort it out
2: <laughs> well, well we don't know if he has but okay
0: we don't know if he has but he's not as president of the FIA been anything but supportive of let's say women in motorsport for example.
2: Sure.
0: So, uh, you know, we, we can just sort of say...
2: Yeah so, yeah, so for me, it was the timing of the, oh, look what we yeah. found. So there was definitely a briefing against him. So that, that says to me, there was a will for him to move on. We're being told like, no, no, he's keeping his job. He's, his statement basically amounted to, I will say less things out loud.
0: Yeah, pretty much. But I think the thing that really did him in, I, I think the thing that's most problematic is the new teams oh okay he's very clear that liberty and the teams very clearly don't want new teams and he's opened up a process and said i want two new teams because that's what the concord agreement currently allows for two new teams only two only two up to 12 24 cars on the grid but that agreement is running out so he is president If he thinks that's best for the sport, to have more teams in the sport, raise your hand if you'd like to see some extra cars on the grid. That's all of us raising our hands. Mm. Okay, well, then you agree with the FIA on this one. And F1 is absolutely trying to torpedo that along with the teams. Why? And this is the dynamic tension because FIA regulate the sport for the good of the sport. It's F1's job in the form of liberty, Formula FOM to sell to put a package on that and sell it to the rest of the world yes now obviously there's a lot of overlap here but occasionally there's tension it's clearly in formula one's interest the business side to not have to deal with new teams they have a thing they can sell it hello new york (laughs) yes i know i love i love my traffic people good They have a thing, they can sell it, they can package it nicely, everybody knows the main players, they have to do very little work, and they can take more money from it. If two new teams show in, yeah, the teams get more money up front, but longer term, that's a pie being divided into more slices, and the teams don't like that, and potentially that causes a problem with all of the teams having adequate funding. Do we all remember when all the teams came in last time with the promise of a cost cap? How many of them tanked and failed and looked miserable on TV? Exactly three. And nobody wants to see failures like that on TV anymore, which is why Formula One is very, very, you know, and I think rightfully so, very, very concerned about who they let in the doors. But Mm. from a sporting point of view, getting some fresh blood in and giving some young drivers more chances to be on the grid and just simply having more cars there is, I think, the right answer. So there's always should be this dynamic tension because we have a regulatory body on one side and a commercial body on the other side. And occasionally they're not going to agree on stuff.
2: A bit of an aside, because I I do want to to roll back to maybe explaining a little bit the relationship between the FIA and, and FOM. But when you said who wants more teams on the grid, we all put our hands up. Most of the people in our patron Slack group also put their hands up, but a few sort of thumbs down. So I just want to say, if you only want 20 cars on the grid, you must also object to uh, natural track limits like grass, walls and gravel. And if if you hate open runoff, that's fine. But we should also have more teams on the grid because in the olden days, and I'm sadly old enough to remember the, the the times of like six cars finishing, it was because these natural obstructions, these natural traps like gravel used to just beach people. People would have a small off and they'd be beached in the gravel. and then And then this is why I want more cars on the grid. Because I still have PTSD of watching as a, as a as a young person, as a young F1 fan, and being getting an hour into the race going, oh, there's only 10 cars here. And and some of the spin-offs, like there'd be a slight contact, they'd spin off, they'd be beached in the gravel, and that would be it. And that is why I want a 75-car grid. That is why for the missed Apex F3 Championships, which will be broadcast live on uh, an iRacing broadcast stream on YouTube on the 25th of February from the Circuit of Americas, that is why I have a 60 car grid because no matter how much carnage there is we always settle down into a good race up front Uh, but Matt can you give us a a, a little bit of just a very short primer why if Liberty Media FOM what does FOM stand for?
0: uh formula one management
2: okay formula one management is essentially media, a holding company for the commercial rights but that's f1 so f1 is liberty that's f1. media uh, they are headed up by stefano Domenicali and liberty media group and they they decide the broadcast rights they sell it to to whoever like sky tv or f or manage yep. uh, f1 tv live so, so they've got the commercial rights to it why aren't they also in charge of the FIA, who do the rules and and who are a non-profit organization looking after the future of F1. Why why aren't they together? Why isn't that one group?
0: Well, uh, let's start with this general thing. It it is normal for sports leagues to behave as monopolies. And it is normal for monopolies to be highly regulated or illegal under most of our current economic systems. Having said that, what happened was all the way back in the nineties, kids, and you might want to settle down, because this is a long story. Uncle Trumpets is sitting by the
2: tree, everyone gather around.
0: For a long and boring story. That's right. This is the one you want to put on when you're lying in bed with your earbuds, but you can't quite fall asleep. Anyway, um it came to the attention of the European Union that Formula One, as a sport, was engaging in, well, certain activities that limited uh, the commercial reach of certain other parties, and they decided that this was bad. This was not allowed. They were going beyond making rules for the sport to make the sport good, and they were making rules for the sport to absolutely kneecap all potential competitors. And this is against the backdrop of what is called the FISA FOCA wars, where there was potentially a Formula One was going to split itself and see some people, you know, shoot off and try and start their own series. happened over here in the U.S. with IndyCar and CART. But they managed to patch things up. The long and short of it was a decree from the EU about what could and could not be gotten away with. And the way they solved the problem, much like Solomon, was they split the Formula One baby into the regulatory body that regulates the rules for the sport and the commercial body, which was then in charge of packaging and selling the sport as a commercial product. Therefore, I can sell the sport, but my selling of the sport can't, can't, kneecap any competitors because the FIA is only interested in the overall well-being of the sport uh, as a sport, rather than making money from it. And to make it all work, the FIA cleverly sold the rights, TV rights for a hundred years, for what amounted to sort of a paltry sum
2: <laughs> to the commercial rights holder. And unfortunately, uh, F one hasn't become massively more popular overnight. Yeah, fortunately, they're not losing money on
0: that. Why they didn't go for royalties on what was collected, I, to this day, I, I think I think Bernie said, oh, just trust me, this is really a good deal for you because you get the cash up front.
2: <laughs> Always take the percentage, kids. Always take the percentage.
0: And uh, yeah, so we are where we are. Um, but the problem you have is, is F1 actually was just recently released from this deal, not too long ago, in the last couple of years, You said, we are no longer monitoring this. You have maintained the conditions we set forth. Congratulations. We're not going to worry about it anymore. But if the commercial side has enough influence to literally take out the FIA president, well, I can be fairly sure that the EU might become very, very interested in that again. And that's something nobody wants. So when I talk about my concerns, that's really it. They do have to be careful because if not, someone's going to report them and they're going to be, they're going to be much more limited in how and what they can do than they currently are. And right now, overall, the system's working pretty well because the sport is popular. We have lots, we have more money coming in. The teams are on a better financial. Nobody wants to upset this Apple cart. Except just for playing politics.
2: Except the FIA, the current sitting FIA president, it seems. So the the team, he was in open warfare with the team bosses, openly calling out uh, Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. Stefano Domenicali has has come out. It seems very much opposed to the this the so called ban on fr- freedom of expression, and uh, he he seemed specifically unhappy with the FIA stance on that. And and I think he's probably it seems to have annoyed the drivers with things like jewellery bands and, and focusing on what is possibly the wrong thing. So the day-to-day running is now going to be by Nicholas Tombasis, who head thankfully... Head of single seaters? Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Say, say again, single what now? Head of single Oh, head of single seaters. The so ex-Ferrari yeah. guy, I don't know anything about him, and I'm kind of hoping that that remains the case. So I think the best thing for everyone is if I, I don't care or know about Nicholas Tombasis.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, did he work for Renault for a spell, maybe? He, he's, he's bounced around between teams and the FIA. Um, and, again, I'm not going to say I approve of all of what Suleiman's done, but I suspect all of this, and really what I want to point to is, do you remember when Formula One said, we're going to have six sprint races? You love sprint races, right, Spanners? <laughs> I do. I you love, love sprint races, so don't much. you? They're your favorite thing, aren't the they? The more races, the better. And uh, and Suleiman said, well, wait a minute, we're the FIA, you know, we're going to decide whether or not that happens. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the uh, F1 and Liberty might have been treating him and the FIA as very much a rubber stamp for whatever they wanted to do. And although, again, I don't approve of everything, I like the idea that that is not necessarily the case. Spanners, I
3: wholeheartedly agree with you yes. that I don't want to be hearing stories about yeah, the FIA true. or Nicholas Tom Bass is now. Yep. I want to be hearing stories about what's happening on track and what's happening inside formula one between the teams. Not so much with the, with the FIA, the, the commercial, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I care about racing. And I think that's the same for 99% of the people watching uh, this sport. Yeah. And I don't want to be hearing about the absolute farces that were, you know, for example, Japan mm. last year when they're announcing the points. Oh, and you know, yeah. No one knows Ooh, what it is. And missiles it's going Staffan off in world the background. Champion, all this, and, yeah. Right? I don't want any of that. Okay. I want good racing. And hopefully, uh, I agree, hopefully we won't be hearing too much from the FIA now.
2: Awesome. Right, so let's just look forward now to the the live launches that I will be continuing to ignore and just catching up with later. So we have had, so far, Red Bull, Williams, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri with uh, the drawing of... And you didn't seem like a big fan of the Alfa Tauri drawing. What was your specific beef with the, the rendering?
3: Oh, it just looks so much lower quality oh. compared to last year.
2: But that might be on purpose. There might be something... Keeping it well, if, under maybe, the sleeve. Maybe, but Formula One
3: did a side by side, and it just it looked awful.
2: Oh, okay. Well, tomorrow, which is Monday, uh, we're going to have the McLaren launches and the Aston Martin launches. I, I, I don't know if there's anything to look out for there. Perhaps we'll get another awkward Lawrence stroll, just staring at the camera, telling us things for twenty minutes. Ferrari <laughs> ruining Valentine's Day. By doing their launch on the fourteenth no they're improving breaking hearts breaking hearts there you go hey. I, and then the, and then mercedes and, and alpine and I'll maintain what I've been saying for all of the off season is that you could completely ignore all these launches and tune in for the testing or even f p one in race one and you you really <laughs> you won't you won't fundamentally miss anything
3: I'll tell you what though it is unusual. I don't remember the last time this happened. It is unusual to see all the launches done so early, like a week before testing starts. Mm. A lot of the times, you get teams launching their cars on the first day of testing. Uh, so uh, that's um, that's unusual. There's a level of readiness and preparedness there that I haven't seen Oh uh, Well, PR readiness.
2: That's
0: all.
3: Well, I okay. Yeah, that's 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 very true.
0: Ask yourself where is testing this year?
3: Bahrain.
0: Yeah. it's not in Barcelona shipping is a thing logistics is a thing and so we're seeing these teams ready sooner because they don't really have a choice
3: yeah but we all know they're show cars anyway it's not like they're gonna stick the actual 23 chassis in front of an
0: audience Mm. we've seen three cars on track i bet you will see all the cars run a filming day which is mostly what they use for shakedowns now Mm. Mm. Um, because they have
2: a yeah. So a shakedown is will this car fall apart? So they, let, let's put mostly all the bits in it and just see that it at least runs on track. So that's not really for the designers. That's not for lap times. That is more for the mechanics that, is, that are going right. Does this physically get around a track? Does it does it yeah. shake the driver to you know, does it shake his bones?
0: Yeah, well, and they have to use special tires that are limited to hundred kilometers for a filming day and 15 I think if it's an event like when they ran the Red Bull in in New York last year. So so you will see most of the teams try and do this before they actually go to testing to to look for system problems. That they can, they can troubleshoot between now and when actual testing starts, when the cars will be under yeah. a lot more stress.
2: And, and for all the aero philosophy and the strikes and uh, are they high rake, are they low rake, there are there are going to be at least 30 people across the paddock that are just wondering if the clips for the wilding looms are going to, to stand up to the g-force around the test track so uh so i think there is enough going on for us to get excited if you're a fan of a particular team then i i accept it, it is very exciting to see well, well what livery is your team going to be wearing it's like a kit launch in football isn't it and what merchandise can you line up and pay 30 percent over the odds for this season and uh, i think
3: 30 percent well I think Well, that's, I,
2: that's really good well more than last season is what I was thinking uh, like I don't buy any team kit I've never bought a piece of Formula 1 team kit because the price is just is horrendous
3: where did you get your super trendy house cap from
2: I. that was a gift I was a kid. I'm kind of a. I'm an international podcasting icon. Occasionally, people send me things. I've got a Latifi <laughs> helmet over there. I've got a. I've got a Lewis Hamilton mini helmet over there. Um, it's a very lucky and position to Spanners be. Spanners, Lance Stroll if, merch. <laughs> if you want to send me stuff, I'm more than open to being uh, to being sent stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, merchandise. It's um. It's definitely aimed at uh, a demographic that I didn't grow up in, Chris. it's, it's that you know football kit as well? It's the same thing. And you wonder is the whole point of the livery launches? aimed at merchandise to a certain extent
3: uh no i no it's very much a pr commercial oh, there you go. Uh, thing there you go,
2: there you so, go. Well, i mean good. that
3: includes you know the the merch but i think it's more about um keeping the sponsors happy
0: you know i remember when i got married somebody told me weddings are for the families <laughs> marriages are for you and your wife and i want to say that launches are for the marketing but testing, that's for the team.
2: Yeah, there we go. Well, if you want to follow a marketing expert, follow Chris Stevens by following at Chris on Racing on Twitter. And that's also, me. you can follow Matt at MattPT55 or search for Matt Trumpets on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me as well. I'm Richard Ready on Facebook. You can be my friend there. My DMs are open on Twitter, so at SpannersReady. And you can email me and Matt. Uh, by using the email address feedback at mistapex.net, wherever we see you next, I would urge you to work hard, to be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. <laughs>